Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, I'm ready. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the virtual table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought on a race to see who will become America's next top bottom. It's me. Oh my god. If we I were still that. doing I'm, that stuff. If we were still I'm, doing that stuff. <laughs> we would be we would I'm, be fully winning that race. Fully. I am bottoming for myself all the time. Oh, same. Oh my god. You my, know what? I am too. And my so, aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> Dennis, are you? you? Are you topping yourself? Is is the first person Dennis is going to top? Dennis? Dennis? Wait, I don't That's... consider that topping me, though. <laughs> if you oh, were using is. a dildo, <laughs> you're topping yourself. So, oh, oh my God! My, is, is this a, a revelation? Oh, is Dennis a top? Is Dennis a top? Dennis put on the strap. <laughs> you know, I, I've gone deeper than anyone else has gone before. Damn, wow. do you see yourself so good funny. like that? Okay. <laughs> you know, you know when the stroke is good. <laughs> oh my <laughs> no. How do I unhear that? Um, anyway, Dennis has got the good dildo stroke. Oh, no, no. I mean, so while we're on the topic, yourself. while we're on the topic, I will say that I did invest in a brand new suction cup silicone dildo. And it was Ooh. actually not an upgrade, but, but a downgrade. It's one inch smaller and slightly mm. less girthy. So it's like just better for me in general, but it right. vibrates, which I've never had Ooh. a vibrating suction cup dildo before. And um, let me tell you, that thing arrived on my doorstep because I got it with a promo code. Arrived on my doorstep. It was in my butt within an hour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me. I. It was. It was comical how quickly I put it in my butt, and I wasn't even planning on it. It was just like sitting on the counter, charging and like staring at me, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh well, okay, okay, okay." <laughs> oh, and you're gonna flirt like that? You're gonna give me those eyes? Literally just sitting there. Did you guys see that video of that dude who, I guess, I don't know if he was an Amazon worker, but he was all like, oh, we're only delivering essential items. Newsflash, um, dildos are dildo. not essential. And I was <laughs> like, excuse you? That's it was like, squeeze me? That, yeah, that was homophobic. That was racist. That was all of the isms. I was so mad. <laughs> I mean, to be totally serious, like the, it, 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 it should be essential items. And like, we totally understand wow. the importance of that statement. However, <laughs> Yeah, I don't normally like it big, but I brought out my big one the other day because it was the one that I got when I like my first boyfriend in Brooklyn when I when I graduated college, he was humongous. So I had to get a dildo to like warm me up before he could even fuck me. And I've been breaking that one out a little bit. Ooh, an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I am Tommy Teves Pico, indigenous American poet, screenwriter, single and not actively mingling, and I'm a bald-headed bitch. I went and did it. I went and shaved ah! my fucking head. Yeah, <laughs> you really did. You look like a very handsome penis. <laughs> <laughs> With glasses on. A potato. Yes. A potato. <laughs> you really, it really emphasizes your lips. You got some DSL boom. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. I have those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. This weekend, I I made banana bread. I'm a cliche. Oh, oh my, God. my God. I didn't want to become like the rest of them, oh, but it, it, just, it was, I had a craving and I saw a really good recipe and I made banana bread. Oh. I'm sorry, you guys. At least you didn't emotional. have a, stour, a sourdough starter going. Do you have a sourdough <laughs> starter going, Fran? No. If I was a true, oh, if I was a true lesbian, I would have a sourdough starter by this point. 
I'm Joe, scientist, nonfiction writer. And y'all, when I'm fucking someone, I make the bottom call me mommy. Oh my God. (laughs) Producer Alex says no. No. I think we. I, I would tell you to go home, no. but you're already home. <laughs> you're already <laughs> home. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. You guys, I'm Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer, a former figure skater, and just call me Skippy because I need to be spread. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? No. Okay, Dennis. <laughs> She's ready. You're on time She's now. ready. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I will leave. We need to get out of quarantine because Dennis is losing it. Unhinged. Absolutely. Dragging yourself on the floor like a horny cat. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone thinks that screaming at night is the cat next door, but it's really just me because I'm in heat. Oh, God. Well, someone tell us what we have on the menu today. Well, today is all about mommy issues, which I'm very excited to talk about, y'all. We, of course, are going to amuse your bushes with Liam Neeson. Who else? We're going to give some unsolicited advice. And for dessert, mm, let me just say that this person is the only person who deserved to go viral. Take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Buck, 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 peacock. <laughs> I'm feeling a little peckish. Let's start the top of the show the way any good top should with a little tease. Our uproarious appetizer segment amuse Boosh. And to amuse our Booshes, who's got the game this week? Do. Uh, okay, so we have all concocted up a fun little game of homonym, wherein we have a list of similar sounding words. Um, and y'all are going to decide which of these is the most homosexual. Are y'all ready to play? I can't Absolutely. All right. Okay. Okay. Very excited. So first up, we have Army Hammer, Ugh. Arm and Hammer, hmm. MC Hammer. Oh yes. Hammers. Just <laughs> 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 hammers. <laughs> hammers are very anti-queer. I feel in that they no. are a tool. Well, maybe but like that's not true. I guess lesbian. lesbians. The end. Yeah, lesbians like they- hammer. They are phallically shaped. Look, before I bought dildos, I stuck lots of things nope, that were nope, vaguely nope, no, 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 Don't tell me you put a hammer up not your pussy. Is that what you're trying I to tell me? I didn't not don't put a hammer up my, Man, up my wow. pussy. Wow. I would just, just say, really, I'm glad everyone are, did not say army hammer. Which, because which, I will add on that note, I found out my students this semester listened to the podcast because we were doing <gasps> a Zoom study session and they invited me to join the, their Facebook group so that I could join one of their study sessions that they were having. And I was like, you know what? Y'all don't need, I don't need to be on your social and you don't want to be on mine. And they go, oh, so you really think that we haven't been on your social? That's food for thought. Wow. <laughs> oh, your kids oh, read you. That was a read. I don't know what about. I I guess I'm also. I would be in the same boat as your. I would be like. I mean, they're literally stu- like. Do you think they just don't use the internet? I don't know what you're. <laughs> I pretend that they don't use the internet. Yes. Right. Um, well, messy. I messy. guess I would also go with hammers because great for getting nailed. Hey. Okay. Oh, I hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're long, they hard, and they pound. So hammers. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Liam Hemsworth or Liam Neeson? I want to be taken. Doesn't Liam Neeson have the biggest <laughs> penis in Hollywood? Yes. Allegedly. Is that yes. a thing? Yeah. I yes. thought that was John Hamm, Dennis. You always say that John Hamm has the biggest penis in Hollywood. John's no, got no. A ham, Le- but John- Liam Neeson, the street. Liam pop. Neeson's Liam Neeson's is huge. And you can always, I mean, with both of them, you can always see the bulge. Literally, that's why I, wa- I finally watched Mad Men was to see John Hamm's ham. And in every shot, you see it swinging in his pants. But also with Liam Neeson, there's this interview that he did, I think a few years ago with, on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. And just the way the camera's there, he's sitting and you just see it like hanging against his thigh and they're talking about how big his dick is it is insane absolutely Um, i choose liam neeson we need to rewind 
Tommy, did you refer to John Ham's penis as John's ham? Yes. Because yes. you yes. are fired from this podcast. Uh, John Ham's okay. ham. Homonym, homonym, homonym. Orlando, Florida. Orlando Bloom. Orlando the novel by Virginia Woolf. Ooh. Ooh. The Virginia Woolf novel, I think it's, I actually haven't read it, but it's like, isn't it like super queer? Isn't it like I super trans? It. <laughs> it is. It is. It. It's like it's like trans it canon, right? No. It is trans canon. It's it's kind of pre that language, I think. But um, yeah, it's very. I, I mean, I choose. I choose. I choose the novel. Um, it's one of my favorites. I choose, and I love it. Um, yeah, it's pretty queer. So, Did you oh, ever see those nudies of Orlando Bloom on the kayak yes, with Katy Perry? Yes, with yes. The semi-hard. Was, yes, yes, that was a fluffed dick. Like that was, that a, was yes. you know what Fluff. I mean? Yeah. You I agree. Yeah, I was like, no, yes. that is not that he was that he knew the cameras were there. Like there is that no, was that, that had got tugged. That was very straight Orlando Bloom, but I do think that Orlando Bloom in Lord of the Rings was a giant yes. flaming homosexual. And and like it was it was faggot excellence. It was like the hair was always perfectly laid and pulled back and long and gorgeous, but he could fly in the air and shoot three orcs with arrows. And oh I my to be god. Him. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. This penis was camera red. Yes, 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 yes. Like yes. there was a full makeup team in place before this photo was taken. I love that he's uncircumcised. It's so pretty. Wow, that's a really yeah. pretty penis. Okay. Homonym. <laughs> I love how uh, this version of homonym has just been about the penises of the people on yeah, the thing. Okay. <laughs> so, and we're still on that track. Gray's anatomy, gray gardens, gray sweatpants <laughs> Why are you? okay for the record i did not write this homonym and y'all are fucking gross and you only have one joke it's fine <laughs> everyone is sick of us everyone has unsubscribed to our podcast at this point because we are still making gray sweatpants jokes Hello. Even though they oh, literally have nothing else to do. They unsubscribe because they would rather <laughs> listen to silence than to us. Which is fair. Um, anyways, the answer is Grey Gardens. The <laughs> gardens is absolutely Grey Gardens. Absolutely. I think Grey Gardens, for sure. Homosexual, yes. I mean, Grey's Anatomy is like high camp, but deeply head. You know what I yep, mean? Agreed, 100% agreed. Yep. He- yeah. Heterosexual canon. The Marble Fall. <laughs> Um, Lisa Bonet or Lisa Kudrow? I love Lisa Bonet. Uh, I love okay, them both. So That's really hard. I'm I'm on the Lisa Kudrow train over here. The comeback, high homosexuality. Yes. I think the comeback. I think does. I'm. I think I have to go with. Um, I did love the comeback, but I think I have to go with Lisa Bonet. Wow. Circa another, circa another world. Also, okay, Lisa Bonet so. circa now because she's with Jason Momoa. Okay, true. <laughs> and if that's not gay, nothing is. <laughs> that, so okay, so that one is a tie. Um, how about Lisa, <laughs> Lisa Rinna or Lisa Frank? Oh, I love my bitch Lisa Frank so much. Lisa, Lisa Frank. Lisa Frank. Yeah, Lisa Frank. The trapper keeper Lisa- that every homosexual had in the fourth grade. Oh my God, that's yes. so true. <laughs> Wait. Was Lisa Frank, um, was, isn't she like famously like a recluse or something like that? There's an amazing article about her. I can't remember if it was the New York Times or the New Yorker, but like a 10,000 word article about what a crazy person she is. It's oh my God, really? <laughs> amazing. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, <laughs> love that. Love when we put things in show notes. What if she okay. turned out to be like a really big nihilist or something like that? And everything she basically she is. In- oh, really? Yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, she literally <laughs> believes in nothing, and like she's she, the, the, every everything in the thing is like very like earnest. It's not okay, ironic mm. at all. Mm. Love that. This is fucking dope. Okay, love. Um, homonym: Kristen Stewart, Martha Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Oh, Patrick, Patrick Stewart's Stewart. relationship with Ian McKellen is yes. so gay. They so love each gay. other. Very gay. They love each other love so very gay. much. TBH, you kind of look like Patrick Stewart right now, Tommy. I do a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I was doing Marco Polo's this morning as Professor Xavier, so. <laughs> no, you were not. Oh my God, yes, that's so good. I'm here okay. for it. I'm here for it. We have Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi cushion, <laughs> Whoopi pie. Who wrote this? <laughs> or straight girls in gay bars saying Whoopi. 
<laughs> oh, oh my god whoopee cushion i think whoopee cushion is <laughs> whoopee the gayest cu- whoopee cushions are not gay you fucking are you kidding I, they, me those they, are deeply heterosexual i imagine like some stupid like incel going to like a joke store and buying a whoopee cushion it's basically just you joe it's the sounds <laughs> that i make when i douche oh, oh god um, and there's nothing gayer than that we have to say, um, I have to stand for straight girls going to gay bars saying whoopee because we all know we have all been that gay at one point or another who brought that crew of straight girls with us. No. Because all we uh, had. Oh, oh no. no, Dennis. No, no we haven't. No. <laughs> I have to no. say, Dennis, that we have not all been that gay. Okay. All right. Well, two things. One, I thought you, Dennis, would for sure say whoopee pie because you are on an all whoopee pie diet. <laughs> <laughs> But secondly, I will say that I am actually very swipe left on people who like shame too much about the whole girls in gay bars thing or like straight girls in gay bars because like I've been in space, I've been in gay bar spaces back when we could go to gay bar spaces, um, wherein I was with somebody who was like, why are all these straight girls here? Like, why are all these like blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I was like, your assumption that the Mm -hmm. women in here are heterosexual is misogynist and homophobic like it it is so many different things so many different things and your hatred of women you are telling on yourself and your hatred of women when you do that in in any space or complain about women and gay bar spaces because guess what literally gay men are the worst and let me tell you lesbians don't have bars anymore they've all died sunset closed down like, you know, and they don't necessarily even want to be at gay bars. You know what I mean? Gay bars Neither are bad. do I. But, some, you know? <laughs> but like, sometimes if that's the last place that they want to have fun, hello, make space for them. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Murphy? Brittany Murphy. Aww. Murphy Brown. <laughs> Murphy Brown. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. You guys really nailed it with the swipe right, with the homonym today. Um, Murphy Brown. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I loved Murphy Brown. Brown. I mean, those power suits. The voice. Those are pretty gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like an episode where she had Aretha Franklin on there, and it is the most personable Aretha Franklin has ever been. I love me some Aretha Franklin. (laughs) That woman, I mean, you know, in interviews, she's very aloof, I will say. Yes, she is. And in Murphy Brown, she was down to earth. She was cracking jokes. She was like really pleasant. And I was like, oh, okay, Murphy, you brought this out of Aretha, huh? Yep, 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 yep. Amazing. Okay. We stay in Candace Bergen. Yes, we do. But like swipe left to like the reboot. We don't need a Murphy Brown reboot. No. Hello, Mm. I'm sorry. Did anyone watch that? No. Did it happen yet? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> it came and went, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Thanks for playing, y'all. <laughs> Get out your coin purses, benches. It's time for Penny for Your Thoughts. What's Penny for Your Thoughts, Dennis? Please oh, tell us about um, in our Penny for Your Thoughts segment, we take all of your questions that you've DM'd us, emailed us, and we give trash-ass answers. We encourage you to get a fifth opinion after our four opinions, yes. but we do our best to, to help your lives. And side note, it's a lot easier for us to manage if you email us the questions instead of DMing us, just FYI. Yes. Keep the DMs dick pics, but put yes. those questions in the email. Dick pi- yes, dick pics only in the DMs. Dick pics. Thank please you. more. I Which, mean, I never ask for them. More. I oh never, my God. never ask for them. And I, they still give, I told you half my DMs are Garfield memes, the other half are dick pics, and I could be getting more dick pics. I'll just say that. <laughs> I will I will say I don't want dick pics. I want like the full body. And I would like videos too. Thank oh, you. Videos I, are great. Videos would be my great. Time. Yes. I would really oh my goodness. Video. <laughs> videos, and I like, I want to see your cute little face. Like, I just want to see, you know, adoring fandom. You know, I, I, my favorite thing is when, <laughs> my favorite thing is when we get nudes and they're like, I, I got a nude like last week and it was like, it was like, hope you're doing okay. I heard you were having a hard time on the podcast. And I was like, Aww. oh my gosh, that's so sweet. And then it was like full bush and like giant penis. And I was like, oh, this you're is like, there so you go. sweet. This is, a, it went- was a care. It was a care package. I got one last week and somebody was like, I just finished Nature Home and I really loved it. Here's this. And I was like, all right. Yes. yes. Love that. Great uh, token of appreciation. <laughs> anyway, back to the questions. Uh, question yes. the first. Uh, my roommate isn't taking the quarantine seriously enough. 
Do I tell him I think he's putting us in danger? How do I tell him? Okay, this is a great and very important question, actually. Um, I don't know if this is corny, but I'm all about roommate meetings and being like, hey, I need to talk to you. You know, you can do it in a way that doesn't set the situation up for more drama than necessary, right? But you need to, I think by sitting down with this person and saying, hey, I I need to talk to you about something serious, the number one thing is that you present this in a way that is not accusatory, right? Mm -hmm. Like when when you're dealing with arrogant people or people that don't understand the gravity of a certain situation, the last thing they want to deal with is like someone telling them what to do. So you kind of have to like trick them into like doing what you want to do by presenting a lot of information that helps them understand that you personally are feeling like you're in danger and so-and-so, you know what it's, I mean? You know, what? It's, it's a really hard question because the other thing that's happening right now is that there is no escape from your roommates, right? like none, you know? So if things are awkward or tense between you, like you're going to be seeing each other all day long as you're both working from home or staying yep. home or whatever. So it is like such a hard, and I am definitely a person who, when I sense that there's going to be conflict, if there's someone that I have tension with, it can be really hard for me to initiate the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, I, I sort of tricked myself in the way, like what, what Fran said, you know, asked to, to ha- like, how, oh, can we have dinner? I want to have a chat about how we're protecting ourselves in the home. But if I, I, I can't initiate the conversation face to face, but if I send an email setting up a time to talk about the thing, that sort of tricks me into being able to do it. And it does still make yeah, me super anxious, smart. but I just sort of like have to get over that for the sake of, you know, my own safety and the safety of the other people in my life. Yeah, I yeah. was initially so, because um, my, my roommate moved out and, and went back to New York and I was initially like really bereft, but then I was like, I'm actually, I've, and I was feeling like really lonely, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm actually glad that I'm alone because mm-hmm. I, this is a, this is, it's, it's a kind of spacious apartment, but it's really intimate for two people to be here all the fucking time. <laughs> Girl, quarantine, yes. let's be real. Quarantine is a very difficult time for relationships and roommate ships. Yeah. After mm-hmm, quarantine sure. was lifted in China, hundreds of couples filed for divorce. Oh, hundreds. Because yeah. hundreds, wow. because they were like, I just, I lived with this, per- I was quarantined with this person for way more time than I've ever been with this person and saw a new side of them. There's no escape, yeah. So we've been pretty lucky in our situation because um, our this apartment is a two-story apartment and there's three people that live in it. Um, but we just have a really open channel of communication um, in our group text. And what the quarantine situation has actually done is allowed us to hang out a little more and get to know each mm-hmm. other, which has been really nice because we all had very sort of separate um, practices and schedules. And so um, we have been on the same page. So we haven't had a lot of conflict about what about the practices that we're doing. But we've just sort of approached each other very, very sort of um, casually and been like, oh, I'm going to do this. Or what do you think about this? Um, and we've discussed everything kind of as a household. Um, and we've taken a very much like we're a team through this. Like we're the ones that we have because we live together. And and it's interesting because we've been sort of thrown together in this way. Um, and at the moment, we're the closest people to each other mm-hmm. in our lives because because we're sharing space um, because of this. So it's been a really interesting thing to navigate. But for us, keeping it casual and and not accusatory and and sort of making it be like this is a conversation. It's it's not um, it's not an accusation at all. Yeah. Like it, and it's not a big deal. Just asking where you are. Here's where I am. Kind of thing. And I definitely think it's a time to practice being easy on ourselves and other people. That doesn't mean that you should let someone make you feel unsafe in your own home, but it's also like you should be forgiving of yourself and understanding that, you know, um, some people in my life have been dealing with this, with the situation with denial. Right. And so mm-hmm. one of the ways of, of not being safe, perhaps in this moment, is that the person is actually so stressed that they can't deal with the reality of the situation. So I just think that, um, you know, stepping forward with empathy toward however people are dealing with this uh, will help you not be accusatory and help the other person not get defensive. Sounds satisfying. Yeah. All right. I think I I have the second one, right, Teebs? Yep. So this one starts off, hey, hi. So something I think about a lot is what my life will look like after high school. I'm a sophomore now. I'm so privileged to be from a progressive, awesome family in an area in Atlanta, but I still feel unable to be truly my most true self. My parents try to talk about gay stuff or engage me in conversations about a gay celebrity, and I choke. What's really helped me feel queer is the thought of a queer future. 
I'm obsessed with 1970s gay culture, mostly because of the tales of the cities and the books and the shows. On social media, all I see is gay li gays living their lives so proudly, and I can't wait to move to New York or San Francisco. Do you have advice for queer people in high school who feel the only way they can truly be themselves is when they grow up? Were there things that you would have done to feel part of a community before you were able to go to gay bars and live in gay areas? Also, BTW, I was listening to the podcast in class when we had nothing to do, and one of you said, it's not incest if you're gay. And I started <laughs> laughing so hard that my teacher wanted to know what was so funny, and I got sent out of class because I wouldn't tell him. <laughs> okay, oh, so for the, record, for, for the record, that was Tommy. That was, was Tommy. It? Yes, that was absolutely yeah, however, Tommy. is it incest if you're gay? I don't know. <laughs> I will say that I now say it all the time because... <laughs> It makes you think. You know? It makes you think. <laughs> oh my um, god. Okay, so I think there's a little there's a little discrepancy in this letter where like I'm actually not I I kind of gathered that this person is not out to their parents. I think they are. They say that they are. Yeah. But they said their family was accepting. I, I, anyways, re regardless yeah. of like where this person is in relation to like coming out or not, I do think you know we are hopefully moving forward. If you're thinking about queer <clears throat> futures, we're hopefully moving toward a future wherein coming out, quote unquote, will be futile. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the, the the novelty of like being gay in like 2020 just is not what it <laughs> what it was, you know, a few decades ago. And I know that I say that in a very privileged way, living in a city, living in parts of the country where it's a lot safer to be queer. However, you know, when it comes to celebrity, when it comes to the way it's, it's entered our everyday lexicon, you know, more and more and more kids are don't need to come out to their parents anymore. Right. They just yeah. like are. They just are. Yeah. Um, and that's a really beautiful thing. And so what I would say to this person, first and foremost, is don't m measure your um, quote unquote queer success because this person is kind of, you know, saying, I'm like not queer enough. I'm not proud enough. Yeah. I'm not right. like, why can't I express myself? Don't Don't measure your quote unquote success of queerness based on whether or not you're able to talk to your parents. I sure. am in my late 20s and I still can't really talk to my parents about, you know, queer celebrities and queer material all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's taxing. Those aren't always the people that you need to invest your emotional resources in. They aren't always the people that you need to spend time with. And to be totally honest, once you get older, it will get a lot easier to talk to your parents about adult stuff. Yeah. That's just like mm -hmm. what adulthood is. You don't need to press yourself to do it now totally. so long as you're yeah. still exploring you know, a form of self-expression that isn't, that has nothing to do with your family or those people. I was super interested in this question because of the way in which they, they immediately say like, I, what really helps me is think about a queer future. But then the next thing they say is I'm obsessed with 1970s gay culture. Yeah. And it's sort of this way in which queerness in the imagination is the past, the present and the future all merged into one. It's like this notion of queer utopia is so informed by like cruising bars and leather aesthetics from the seventies mm. and eighties and dance halls from the eighties and early nineties. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that we can do to push forward uh, a more universal idea of a queer utopia is not to, 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 to no longer just imagine that queer utopia is only New York and San Francisco and queer utopia is only gay bars and older experiences, you know, that, uh, that, that a queer childhood, that queer youth uh, can be made a utopia of its own. And, and what I think about with that is like the multiplicity of relationships that queerness allows. Yep. Like when I think mm -hmm. about my own childhood and I was so afraid to like be intimate, physically intimate with other boys and that's something I regret. And so I think that if I went back and um, wanted to rethink about my queer childhood to make it better, I would just open myself up to the multiplicity of relationships that queerness <laughs> offers, not necessarily sexual, but intimate and, fr and friendly ones, uh, queer friendships, queer families, uh, you know, your own co cousins or whatever, whoever you find that can accept you and guide you uh, and, and help you see yourself and make you feel comfortable. That is, that's, that is the queer utopia. That is the New York mm -hmm. in your mind. Yeah. Right. right. I, missed, yeah. I mean, I loved going to like the gay bookstore in, in um, Hillcrest mm. in San Diego. I, I started the gay straight Alliance at my high school. Um, I, I did, a, I went to a lot of events at the, um, the gay center in, in San Diego. Um, they had a lot mm. of ones that were specifically for people under 18, like queer prom and stuff like that. And I made, um, really good friends with a very small group of weirdos. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, 
I want to quickly say that, you know, as wonderful and romantic of this idea of 1970s, like queer culture and families, and this person referenced Tales of the City, which is like the the quintessential story of the chosen family, that the depictions of chosen families and queer cultures and, you know, whatever, those are not, that's not like something that you unlock or achieve, right? And these depictions are not always like realistic and your chosen family or your queer culture or whatever doesn't always look like what everything, what else is out there, right? You can read as many books and watch as many TV shows about queer culture or queer families um, that you want, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you achieve. So I would, I would go back to this person and I would say, what do you use to measure your own queer future? Mm -hmm. What do you use to measure your own queer personhood? Because to be honest, you could be sitting on a park bench and eating an ice cream cone and that's still queer. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you have to, you have to know and tell yourself that queerness is not homework. It is not, you know, queerness, queerness is not this thing that you, you know, uh, uh, you, you hit this certain like, peg point and then you unlock a thousand coins or diamonds, you know, it's not a video game. Um, So continue to indulge in the cultural objects that make you happy, whether it is, you know, reading about the 1970s or Tales of the City or other things that inform inform your queerness. But just know that it's it's not a thing that you inevitably become or Mm -hmm. something that, Mm -hmm. you know, you are missing out on. You're not. You're not missing out on it. You, you're doing just the thing you want. What to. would the video game of queerness be? You would you would suck a dick well enough, and then a, a thing would open, and like like a pound of poppers would fall out. Like like what are the okay, coins? First, girl, all video games are queer. Have you played Final Fantasy? True, true, oh true, my true, true, god, true. the queerest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Anyways, that was a really good question. Yeah, that was a very good question. Uh, loved. Mm, it's time we reach the meat of our discussion, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. 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 We are getting better. I'm anticipating it. I'm anticipating it. So to sling our meat this week, it's Dennis, I believe, is topping. Dennis is topping mommies. Oh my God, <laughs> Joe, I, Joe, I will truly never forgive you for that. <laughs> I will never forgive you. Um, okay, loves, the world feels a bit unsteady right now. I'm reminded of that scene in Mean Girls when all the high school girls have gone wild, rioting in the hallways, fighting, yelling, kicking and screaming and pulling hair. In the middle of a fray of the fray, a short red-haired boy opens his flip phone, dials and says, Mom, can you pick me up? I'm scared. Aww. I'm reminded Aww. of... <laughs> I'm reminded of this scene because for many a queer, our mothers are our goalposts. From being our literal first home to being our first confidants, from creating a safe space around us to forging ahead by our sides in a world that would rather see us dead. For so many, they occupy a position of centrality, whether or not they have even mothered us at all. And it seems to me that now more than ever, mothers occupy a unique and crucial space in the popular and in the queer imagination, from Laura Brown in The Hours to Felicia Rashad as Claire Huxtable, and more recently, Big Little Lies with Reese and Carrie in Little Fires Everywhere. Everyone's got something to say about mothers. And today, the thoughts are chiming in. So tell us a story, give us a moment from a time when you were mothered, whether by your own or by a proxy. Mm. I always think of... um when when uh, when like a baked chicken oh yeah I always feel like a like a like a like fresh out of the oven like a baked chicken just reminds me so much of feeling being mothered being taken nurtured. care of having my yeah mm-hmm. and feeling nurtured just like that whole smell and experience like that that always makes me feel mothered yeah i um mm. my mom uh is a nurse practitioner and and is my mom is just the most <laughs> mom of anyone ever of all time <laughs> just like is just a mom and i i definitely feel uh when because she is a healer uh, and is the type of healer that is very attuned to like how it feels to be sick is not sort of mechanical like doctors tend to be but is much more like you know knows how to heal but also knows how to care for the fact that you don't feel well uh, mm-hmm. uh whenever i feel sick for as when my uh such as when my butt exploded on a thought trip um like oh, all i can think is just like i wish my mother were here it's like 
you know, just be present oh. and care for me and like oh. maybe make soup or just, you know, tell me it's going to be okay or tell me what to do if not. Um, so and touch your butt to, to, to swab my <laughs> butt with the swab and send it into a clinical lab. Um, no, no. But I mean, in that moment, we were in the middle of the woods and she was the one who be, was able to tell me that I could make it back to the city because what I had wasn't serious. Right. So it's that mm-hmm. mix of like practical knowledge with um, emotional care. Mm, that that mm. feeling of being taken care of, of someone yep. like putting their putting you under their wing. Totally. You know what's kind of sad is like I don't really have a ton of like positive associations with like motherhood, at least from like my childhood or my actual personal experience. <laughs> I mean, when you said like what is the thing that makes you think of motherhood, the very first thing I thought of was the experience of watching a movie that I was really enjoying and then a sex scene comes on and my mom throws her hands over my eyes oh, so that I don't no. see it. And this this feeling of this feeling of censorship, yeah. of being mm-hmm. extremely sheltered. And you know, I, I grew up with a mother and in a family where all the cultural objects that really would have made me, you know, very relevant to our earlier discussion would have made me, a, a you know, a, a more whole, would have given me a more whole sense of my queer identity yeah. if I had just had access to them earlier. Um, I, I really wish that I knew how to the, how to use the internet fiercer, but like our internet was, you know, was we different. had like a parenthood, parenthood protections yep. on my internet access mm-hmm. and all these different things that, you know, made sure that I did not, you know, know what culture was mm-hmm. until my teens, um, my late yeah. teens. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I really was sheltered, you guys. Yeah. I know I say this all the time, but like, I, I just, it was like, I watched Clueless for the first time two that's weeks so ago. Crazy. Like, that's yeah. how, I was just not allowed to watch like a lot of things that really developed everyone else's right. gayness or queerness. And I wish I had that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dennis? Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, I've actually been thinking a lot about um, being mothered as an adult, you know, at that time in our life when it, it we're so often um, we feel or the world tells us that like we don't need our mothers anymore or that we don't need to be mothered. Um, and, and I so often feel like I do. Mm. And I, I'm thinking about this time when I was mothered in a way that like probably my mom couldn't do. And so this is from a few years ago, like the year I think before I met you guys, I was at a reading and I um, was reading some from my novel. And the way that this reading series worked was that like you would read and then the audience would um, respond with questions. So I read like two scenes from my novel and um, another writer who was a friend um, raised her hand and asked a question. And the question that she asked me was something I had never thought about. And and this is, there's a big audience. The space was full. There had to be like 75 people there. And she asks me, how much of this is, is, is autobiographical or from your own life? And I had a very sort of intense moment of reaction. And then I sort of calmed myself and I tried to find an elegant way to answer the question. But a minute later, Tayari Jones, who was in the audience and whom I never met and who I was so excited to see, um, raised her hand and immediately asked um, me what I think, how do, how, how did I feel, like what did that question do to my process as a writer? Because I think she's a very big fan of not, people not asking those questions when, you, when you're writing. And it was just really interesting because this woman that I'd never met, um, who I'd looked up to for many years and had kind of had a freak out moment when I saw her in the audience, raised her hand and sort of, I felt like publicly mothered me mm-hmm. um, because I was sort of clearly uncomfortable with with this moment that had happened. And I just don't think like, for example, if my mom had been there, like she wouldn't have had the wherewithal or probably felt the authority to do that mm-hmm. because she's not a writer. Um, and so it was really interesting. It, it, what it inspired, the thinking that it inspired for me was the, all of the ways in which we go through our lives sometimes um, being mothered by people who are not our mothers mm-hmm. in settings where we would think we don't need a mother um, and, and how often this probably happens because of community. Because like in that space, I was in a community of writers. She's a black writer. I'm a black writer. Um, and I just started thinking about all of the ways in which these mantles that sometimes feel so set in our lives um, are often moved and passed around and we, and we wear different hats for different people in different moments. It's so mm. interesting. I'm thinking so much about um, how, how gendered care is in this conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, because yeah. I mm-hmm. think 
Fran, what you're expressing is sort of um, a, a lack of that emotional care for the person you were inside and wanted to come out. And, you know, Tommy and Dennis are both talking about sort of moments of nurturing and, and protection. And, you know, we've had a couple of episodes where we talk about daddy issues. Um, and I, I just, I can't help but notice um, that, that what we want from our the mother figure here and what sort of from childhood until now what we ex, what we expect from our mothers is is this emotional labor this care um and and how how much pressure that puts on them you know sometimes my god it's like you just don't i, I sometimes feel out of my capacity for care um oh god yeah i mean here's i mean like the motherhood this experience or the the expression that we're having of motherhood is so ambivalent right mm. because there's both like um like as a barrier to something and also as like access to yeah. something at the same time and i think like i feel both of those sentiments very very deeply because i do feel like there is a way in which like my my, my i'm so fiercely protective of my mother and i also feel like in moments of comfort that like the the feeling but then there are also moments of complete and utter self-annihilation that I think ah. are definitely there because of my mother <laughs> and like but like re like reconciling reconciling my 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 affection and 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 love with the fact that like I was handed down some very very particularly bad like coping mechanisms oh, yes. like that's that's hard <laughs> to like reconcile you know yeah I mean I definitely get the like the fix a hoe complex from my mother they're like if you're just kind enough if you're just like if you just treat this horrible man well enough and my martyr shit oh, from my God. Irish Catholic mother that's like laying down your whole body performatively for everybody else to show that you're a good person Person. It's not healthy, you know, and therapy is healthy. Yeah. I feel like my mother was the same way and I've developed the, in spite of that, uh, like the, op I've, mm -hmm. I've developed the opposite of that. Like everyone's got to sit, look out for their goddamn selves. Everyone's got to save themselves. I'm not Captain Sable. I'm Captain Save Myself, but like not in a good way. Right, right, Like right. in a way that is, um, that can be very cruel or like at least like, um, like a, a way that I, I feel like I'm not a good nurturer because um, because I saw that capacity within my mother and my father, like they would borrow money so that they could give, give money. money to other yeah. people. And like, mm. that was so crazy to me. I grew up mm -hmm. like resisting that so hard that it's like, my money is only my yeah, money. Yeah. Like I, nobody's getting a goddamn cent from me. But that, so like I, I developed um, in contrast to that, but I don't think in a healthy way. You know, seeing someone overextend themselves with care and then your response to that being careless, which also is another way to like sort of minimize your possibility. Well, something that we're all talking about really is um, this inevitability of gays becoming their mothers. You know Ooh. what I mean? Like that's kind of like a trope and <laughs> like a thing that I see in movies. And like, I just watched like Monster-in-Law and like I, I'm, I'm, I watched also, I watched Crazy Rich Asians yesterday. I'm watching all these like mother yeah. movies and it brings the attention to, you know, what happens when you, what happens when you either resist uh, becoming your mother or what happens when you don't have one. Um, and how to your point, Joe, yeah. how different that is when you don't have a father. I watched the movie onward the other weekend, which is all about fatherhood mm -hmm. and what happens when you don't have a dad and the things that you learn from a dad, according to movies are playing catch and quality time. And like a rare moment of emotionality that you remember forever. And then, then mothers the alphabet. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, but then with mothers, it's like emotional labor ad infinitum yeah. until you die. So I'm just curious, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I've just, you know, pontificated for no, no reason because I just want to know from y'all, what are the traits that you inherited from your mother? Joe, you kind of talked about it a little bit. Tommy, you're hinting towards coping mechanisms. Yeah, I think self-deprecation, doom and mm. gloom, um, but also like <laughs> I'm, I, but I'm curious and weird and empathetic like my mother. Mm. Like she, she's like she still reads poetry. You know what I mean? Like she was my access to the point to poetry. She's the one who like loved like Anna Akhmatova and, and Marilyn Chin and all these other weird people and, and introduced me to like Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath and like I'm a weirdo because of her. Mm -hmm. and, but like. I, but like, um, I'm also just like my worst enemy because of her too. But mm. I think that tempers the narcissism that I get from my father. So. <laughs> <laughs> Love. What about you, Dennis? Wow. Um. So there's there's 
there's a few things. I think the first thing that I always think about are the ways in which I'm sort of talkative and, and personable and charming. Like all of those things I inherited from my mom. Like she's all of those things. My dad was kind of like quiet and in the background. Um, and he was sort of like serious and academic. But the other thing is that the, the ways in which I can or have been very intense and driven in my life were definitely from my mom. Like she always pushed me really intensely. Um, I recently wrote an essay about how in high school she wanted me to be the valedictorian and she, she felt that way because she wanted um, all those little rich white kids to see a black kid be like number one. And so the ways in which I sometimes take on pressure um, to represent the groups that I'm a part of or to feel that I have a responsibility like that, I think definitely come from her. And those are things that I'm sort of constantly always having to to fight against. And then the ways in which I am nurturing and show up for people, I feel like I inherited those from both of my parents, but they look different. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're in very different ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, the, the sort of intensity, um, lots of criticism there and my ability to be very sort of self-critical in certain ways um I got from her yeah my household was super duper gendered growing up like my parents both cooked but my mom cooked and baked and my dad grilled you know and so Mm -hmm. I mean obviously like the 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 martyr the self-martyring the care for others the only way to be holy is to care for others more than yourself all of that shit but also just to be honest with you recipes and mannerisms i got from my you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like Mm -hmm. in in certain ways as i became more comfortable with my queerness the way that i help my body reminds me of of my mom sort of the the Mm -hmm. food that i cook definitely you know my food is like a little different from my parents but most of my i made um I made Kako Van last night for my for my bay, uh, mm-hmm. and it's actually you know a, my version of an old family recipe. So a lot of the things that I cook are actually sort of plays off of the food that nurtured me growing up. Most of which was made by my mom. And also when I met your mom, and I think within five minutes she started crying, and I was like, <laughs> "That's where you get it from!" Wow. So it's not all because he's a Pisces because of his mom. It's because of his mom, yeah. Joe. I've actually been thinking about my relationship to food a lot lately because now that we're in this this quarantine situation. I have to like think about it differently and I have to be in my kitchen. And one of the things that I was thinking about is that so many people associate food and that version of care with their moms. Mm-hmm. And my mom was the primary person in our home who cooked, but she didn't have a terribly loving relationship with the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, she, I don't think she saw it as this is an expression of my love and of me taking care for you. I think she cooked because like people need to eat and she was the one who cooked and like, she's a good cook in certain ways, but it wasn't, she just is never, she was never going to be like, Oh, I love cooking. That's feminist. And there was no one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there was no one in my family who's like that. Like my sister, one of my sisters has begun to learn to kind of be like that. But like my dad could cook and would cook sometimes, but like, it wasn't, I love doing this and this is how I show you love. What about you, Fran? I get my neuroses from my mother. My sense of independence, I think, is also from my mother. She has this kind of very determined um, attitude and way of doing life uh, that makes her feel like she can do anything by herself, <laughs> which is can be a, a blessing sometimes when you really are by yourself, but a curse a lot of the times when you don't ask for help. Um, and so I, th- I think I get that from my mother as well. This kind of, she's a very, I wouldn't say a, a lonely person, but she's a very alone person. And I kind of get that from her too. Is anyone here mm. afraid of becoming their mother? Like that old cliche? Absolutely. 100% all the time. Yes, absolutely. 100% I, all the time. Yes, I don't. Absolutely. absolutely. All the time. Yes. You know what's, you know what's so funny is like, I don't, I'm not afraid Either. because I don't under, I don't understand the point of fear of the an inevitability. You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't fear death. Yeah, true. I don't fear, you know, uh, you know, the sun coming out. You know what I mean? I, 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 just, I don't fear things that are just going to happen. You're lying. You're um, pretending you're not a vampire right now, Fran. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Shh, don't blow my cover. Don't blow my cover. <laughs> I also feel, feel like that my mother has this intense ability to fixate and then get and then panic, and that I've also kind of um, inherited and. 
she just has these crazy crackpot theories. Oh, wow. Like these conspiracy theories, but not in a dangerous, like weird incel way. But she'll say something like offhand that I know that she's like held as like sort of like Bible truth yeah. that like has not gone through any vetting process <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> and in fact, once she says it out loud and I mirror it back to her, she's like, yeah, I guess that's kind of crazy, huh? <laughs> Say something about sunscreen and aloe vera, and and I was just like, mother, have you have you read anything about this, or did you just come up with this on your own? And she, I remember one time she said, um, "Don't wear a hat; it's bad for your hair." And I was like, "What?" My does mom that said that too. Mean? <laughs> my, my mom said that that's why her dad that went bald shit. because he wore too many hats. <laughs> Isn't, isn't it science that creating friction against your skin actually does make sure that make the follicles grow? Doesn't it make, give you more? I don't hair? know that there's any science one way or the other. This is how hats affect your hair. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I think what I want to think about is so let's wait to talk about a lot of bad things about mothers. So I want to think about you know the positive, the positive, and something you know, Joe. I've never thought about this. This kind of, the gendering of, of motherhood and the gendering of care and, and how we kind of associate motherhood with different things. And I guess I, I would quest, I would ask y'all like, what are the things that a person can gain from being mothered? Whether that mother is their biological mother or, mm-hmm. you know, someone from a chosen family. I, I think that one of my favorite depictions of motherhood ever is in a pose. Um, and thinking about and uh, how both MJ Rodriguez and um, Electra uh, be, uh, mm-hmm. are these very complex mother yeah. figures, and MJ is kind of this positive mother figure to a chosen family with a lot of tough love in her, and then you have Electra, who's kind of a bad mom but still complex and selfish and wants she wants her own things as much as she wants a family and can she be faulted for that yeah i don't know I, um, well, what do you guys mm-hmm. think about when you think about motherhood in a positive I mean, this is i'm actually thinking about having a child in the next few years um co-parenting oh. with um I, I don't want to give too many details because it's still all in the works but co-parenting with a, a friend of mine who has a, a partner and and basically being kind of the, a, a third parent. And, um, you know, when we were talking about it, we talked about this study that came out um, that showed that it doesn't matter if people have a mother or a father or any traditional family structure. The only thing that matters for child well-being is that there are at least three people in the world who they feel love them unconditionally. And no matter what happens, they'll have a safe and secure home with those three people. And that to me, I think is really beautiful because when I think about making a family of my own, I am a very nurturing and mothering person. But um, when I think about sharing that with two whole other people, I feel like we can spread that labor out across enough people such that all of us mm-hmm. get to maintain some other aspects of our own life where our whole life mm-hmm. isn't just about caring for another mm-hmm. small being. Um, so I think that's the, t- the type of balance that I'm trying to think about. Just knowing that that um, everyone needs motherly love and everyone needs care and it sucks that that type of emotional care has always been put on women and that's just historically mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. yeah but he asked if they yep. wanted yep. to yep. do yes. it yes nobody <laughs> yes <laughs> snap snap snaps to that but that we can all yeah. we can all participate in that and that the only thing a child needs and the only thing that the only thing that we need are people to love and care for us unconditionally I thought that, and also like just growing up on a reservation uh, and not having necessarily like a nuclear family, I always felt mothered by my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I felt mothered by by cousins and uncles and aunts. Like I felt taken care of by more than my fam, but more than my mother and father right. because oftentimes they weren't there. Um, mm. because they had 17 jobs because we were really fucking poor and we lived on an Indian reservation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so it literally was a village. Yeah. Like, like it, that's what, that's what I had. And so like when I write about stuff and like my screenplay and shit like that, I always make sure to like point out the fact that the main character doesn't necessarily have two parents. Right. That, mm-hmm. that they have also grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and cousins and shit like that. Um, but one of the things I would associate with like, with a, a positive aspect of motherhood of being mothered is like the opportunity to surrender. Mm-hmm. you know and the mm-hmm. opportunity to like just give it uh, like to just like let go of your burden whatever it is yeah you know? oh i love you mom mm-hmm. i love you too mom <laughs> mom. mom can you make me a pb and j mom 
Can you make me a corn dog? I make a killer PB and J. Yeah, it's, it's, it can't it's, make a it's corn peanut dog. butter and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. It's, I make a good one. Mmm, <laughs> I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. Ooh, ooh. Uh, so this week, we're going to put the cherry on top of this episode with our little dessert. Uh, Fran, will you tell us what we got in for dessert today? I am so excited. Let me tell you, we are giving credit where credit is ah, finally mm. due to the one and only Leslie Jordan, who has blown up on Instagram well, in the last. Oh, yes, <laughs> in the last few weeks. Um, to to his right, uh, if you're not familiar with Leslie Jordan, I think his most famous role is he was this very funny and witty and queeny villain character in Will and Grace. Beverly um, Leslie. Leslie. Yeah, yeah. Beverly Leslie um, playing an old closeted queen that was just hilarious in every single thing that he said. And he is someone who, one of my favorite things about him is that he he couldn't hide his queerness if he tried. Oh no. He is, he, he, he hey. could, there's no <laughs> other role for him to play. And in a lot of ways, you know, I wonder what, you know, because he is so openly and visibly and, you know, cannot pass as straight, he's so visibly a faggot yep. um, that I wonder, you know, what that meant for his career in Hollywood, yeah. right? So to watch him blow up on Instagram because of front-facing videos, um, wherein he just tells little stories about his days in Hollywood or what he's eating for dinner yeah. or, you know, what he's watching. Yeah. <laughs> he's watching. They're so endearing because for a few different reasons. One, the faggot thing. Yes. Two, I feel like there's something really touching about a, a, a man or a woman of a certain age using technology, you know, <laughs> and just like exploring what it is. Yeah. Um, but like he is exquisite and, you know, has progressed from like having a hundred thousand dollars at the beginning of quarantine to now 2 million. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They're just such pockets yeah, of he's hilarious. unadultered, both is unadulterated joy. They're so joyful, but they also are very in and of this moment. So it's not like a joy that's like yes. looking away from the weirdness that we're all living through. It's a, Oh, it's very deeply it's informed exactly. by the weirdness. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's just so joyful. And his little stories about growing up as a gay kid in the South, the one where he uses a back scratcher as a baton and tells a story about how he would be in his front yard twirling a baton and his army father would come home and would go oh son he loved me he just didn't know what to make of me but he would come home from work and i'd be in the front yard he'd be with all of his army buddies he was a career army man daddy daddy watch me twirl daddy watch my dad son oh son son won't you twirl that baton in the house <laughs> it's amazing and not to be too topical with this episode but i think the first video that i really noticed um going viral was when he's like on the bed and he's talking to everyone on the instagram and then he hears his mother coming and he's like oh that's my mama coming up the stairs and he's like mama i'm talking to my friends mama. <laughs> leave me alone and i was just like we have all been there. That is quarantine life. For that person who asked that second question about queer teenage shit, it never goes away. It yeah. never, goes, it away. never goes away. I love that he referred to Tiger King as my murder program. <laughs> my murder program. I love when he was holding this little bottle of Chinese medicine and he was like, the last time I had one of these, I was, you know, at a club and my friend had it to me. I went to the bathroom, did a little. And then I came back Came back out of the bathroom, my friend said, there's none left. You snorted a gram. <laughs> but I was but I was the dancing queen that night, 20 years, clean and sober, so I can tell stories like that. <laughs> he has a really amazing um, one-man show where he details his struggles with addiction mm -hmm. and sobriety and all that kind of stuff, but also mm -hmm. in a very, very funny way. So I would recommend watching that as well. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our home at iHeartRadio. Mm. Our producer is currently doing the standing ab section of Tracy Anderson's DVD workouts on YouTube, Alexandra De Palma. 
Our production manager is carbonating her own line of hard seltzer, Elizabeth D. <laughs> Our social media manager has all of your streaming passwords on a Google Doc, Christina Tucker. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or else Fran gives himself this mullet. I will say it's time to give yourself it a mullet. It is time, Fran. It's- I want the mullet. Do it. I want it. Oh. It's time for a daring hair situation. Uh, I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H E Y T E B S on all relevant social media. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denton, T H E E A R L D E N D E N. And I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco on Twitter and Instagram. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. Sign up for a newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some extra delightful content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? We still can't do it. That was so bad. We were prepped, primed. Damn it. One day. Next week. Next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.